I'm going to tell you a story about a married couple, and I'm going to make their names for now uh, Brian and Stacy. They're followers of Jesus, and they've been married for almost 10 years. And Brian really enjoys his career, and he works a whole lot. Uh, because of this, he makes a whole lot of money, which gives them sort of an upper-class lifestyle. Stacy is a stay-at-home mom, and their, their relationship really over the 10 years has not been that bad. They've had their ups and downs. They have two kids. Now, over the course of their marriage, they've had one fight over and over. If you've been married, you know this one. You have that one fight that you have over and over. Early on in their marriage, they fought about how Brian didn't seem to prioritize their relationship. He seemed to always be working. There was always another project to tackle. And when Stacy would bring it up to him, he always fought back and he fought hard. And most of the time, they would go to bed without ever resolving it. And, and usually, Brian would storm out of the room and go sleep elsewhere, in the den or on the couch or someplace else. Usually, the next day would be a little awkward, but by the evening, they were back to normal. And this cycle continued for the first four years they were married. That happened a few times every year. In their fifth year of marriage, they had their first child, followed by their second child two years later. The same fight continued on the same cycle, but now with kids. Stacy pointed out to him that it, it was, uh, his work was just costing uh, too much. And it wasn't only costing their marriage. Now with kids, it was costing as, as his role as a father. And this only intensified how mad he would get and how hard he would fight. And each time he would storm out go do some work and sleep on a couch. And then the next day they would go on as if nothing happened. Around their ninth anniversary, they began to talk about getting counseling. Sounds like a great idea. But before that ever began, Stacy had had enough and she decided that she and the kids were gonna move to her parents' house. And they're on the brink of divorce. They're Christians. They're Christians. We began this series called Different a couple weeks ago. And what I told you is that spiritual health and emotional health are deeply intertwined. Pete Scazzaro says that you cannot be spiritually healthy if you're emotionally unhealthy. Now, the church generally does a good job at tending to spiritual matters, but what has lagged behind is how we address emotional health. So this series is aimed at looking at how we can become more emotionally healthy in order to become more spiritually healthy. Now, as we begin to address our emotional health, it's important to identify areas where we experience anxiety. And if you remember from the first week, we all experience a certain amount of chronic anxiety. It's the internal stress response to a threat that is not actually a threat. Now, here's what's awesome. It's awesome that if you can identify the sources of your chronic anxiety, what you will find is that they stem from areas that Jesus can address and bring healing to. The problem is, since most of us don't consider ourselves anxious people, it's really hard to see where we experience this anxiety. Now, the good news is that humans respond to anxiety in predictable patterns that can be observed. So this makes it pretty easy to narrow down. So if we can become aware of the places where we exhibit these patterns, we will begin to see our own anxiety, and more importantly, what triggers our anxiety. This is how we become different people. 
The predictable ways that humans respond to anxiety are triangling, conflict, distance, over-functioning, and under-functioning. And last week we talked about triangling. I hope, and I heard from a number of you, but I hope you were able to see where this shows up in your life. If you try to be aware of the places where you tend to triangle this week, what you may have begun to notice is there are certain instances or certain issues or certain relationships that really push your buttons and they push you right into triangling. These are areas of anxiety for you. And as you become aware of them, a healthy response is to take your newfound awareness into a space of quiet with the Lord and ask why this causes you anxiety. This week, we're going to talk about the next two together, conflict and distance. Now, before we dig too deeply into conflict and distance, we need to understand something. The goal of emotional health is to be able to be defined and connected. Defined and connected. Let me explain what I mean by that. Each and every person is his or her own self with thoughts, ideas, beliefs, understandings that are distinct from everyone else. In this way, every person is defined. But as soon as we begin to have relationship with people, we have to give away part of our selfhood. So in order to work for this company, we all do things this way, right? You go to orientation. Say, it doesn't matter how you think we should do it. This is how we do it at this company. Or as part of being part of the family. It's like we all believe these things. If you're part of this family, this is what you believe. Or to be part of this church, we all understand scripture this way. Or in order to be part of this nation, we all ascribe to these fundamental truths. And as soon as you begin in relationship with people, it costs you something of yourself. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just what happens. It's just how it works. If we engage in relationship in an emotionally healthy way, we're able to maintain a balance of staying defined as ourselves while being connected with others. This is harder than it sounds. What tends to happen is people fall on one side or the other. Either people will give up more self than they need to in order to be connected, or people resist connection in order to be defined. Now, let me give you a couple examples. You guys probably have all seen these play out, and maybe you were aware, maybe you weren't. Some people, as soon as they make a friend or they make a relationship, they're fully committed, right? You've seen people like this. They're fully committed to that relationship. In no time, they're 100% all the way in. And we're the best of friends or we're the best of boyfriend, girlfriend. And like, you know, these are the people that will tell you two weeks later, like, well, we're, we're getting married now. And you go, wait a minute. You don't know each other. You might say these people love really hard. So as soon as there's a friend or a relationship, they dive completely into that relationship, including giving up their own values, beliefs, and ideas. This is called fusion. Two people become fused to one another. This is not emotionally healthy because they give up all of their own sense of self. And you know people like this. And we can just leave it at that. We can keep it between friends. We can leave it like that. On the other extreme, you may find people who never make relationships. They never give up part of themselves. They're always defined, but never connected. And they never have deep relationships. 
you tend to find more of the first than you do the second. The emotionally healthy balance is in the middle. We need to maintain our own selfhood while engaging and staying connected to other people. The word for this is differentiation. Some, someone is more differentiated when they have a greater capacity to be both defined as well as connected. They're less differentiated when they tend to be unable to hold that balance and they go one way or the other. And it happens in all interpersonal relationships, but it's especially pronounced, as you can imagine, within marriage. All of you married people know this. Where what we said when you got married is the two people become one. Which one of you do you become? It becomes a little bit more of a, a place for conflict, right? So this is the context for all conversation about conflict and distance. And if we understand this, it will help us to more clearly see the points that cause us to experience anxiety. I want to take a look at a, a passage of scripture that really illustrates these ideas of conflict and distance. Now, if you've read the Bible, you should do that, first of all. If you haven't read the Bible, you should. It's a great book. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a bestseller. You should <laughs> on a copy, and, and you should read it. If you, have, if you have read the Bible, though, you see that there's conflict everywhere, right? You could look all over the place to, to illustrate conflict. And you could probably pick a whole lot of scripture to show distance. But I want to use a passage out of uh, Acts 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And the reason for this is you see a very clear instance of both cases happening in a very short time. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 15. I'll give you just a second. Acts 15. And we're going to look at beginning at verse... 36. Here's what it says. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Now, here's the context for this passage. If, you, if you've kind of read through Acts and you see what Paul has done, earlier on in Paul's journey, he took John Mark along. And along the way, John Mark just decided to leave and go back home. As you can imagine, if you're taking a missionary journey to share Jesus with a whole bunch of people you've never met, and your fellow missionary decides to leave, you'd probably feel abandoned. But Barnabas, of course, always the encourager. I mean, he's the reason that Paul makes relationships with all the Christians early on. He encourages Paul to try to take Mark along again. Come on. Come on, Paul. Can't we just forgive and forget? It's a new day. You know, give it another try. And it doesn't explicitly say this, but Paul remembered how he felt, certainly, the first time. And he was not going to have that happen again. So in verse 39, Paul and Barnabas have conflict. 
The only thing it takes to have conflict is two people. So Paul and Barnabas have conflict. And what scripture says is they couldn't resolve their conflict. They parted ways. So Paul and Barnabas engage in conflict. And then when, it go, when it's going nowhere and the anxiety just keeps increasing, they retreat into distance. This is the normal cycle of conflict and distance. The thing that psychology is telling us now, the Bible demonstrates. Some of you know this one. In relationships where we've given up self in order to be connected, there's certain expectations of the ways in which we agree that we will think, act, and believe alike. Oftentimes, these expectations are unspoken. It's critical to know. A lot of times, it's unspoken expectations. That caused the problems. One party didn't agree. One party didn't even know. And one party begins to deviate from the expectations of the relationship and anxiety begins to build until we reach a point where we react. And here's the dirty little secret. We all experience this at some level. Every last one of us. Again, it only takes two people to create a conflict. When we reach the reaction point, we will express our anxiety in one of the predictable patterns. Some people, when the anxiety reaches the point where stress response gets triggered, they react by engaging in conflict. What this looks like, they go in, they try to force the offender to get in line. That's what's happening. Maybe they yell or they give harsh criticism or call people names or very sarcastic or any other ways, any, you know, like lots of different ways in order to force the person to conform to the expectations. This exchange really is all about the anxiety of the person engaging in the conflict. And it tends to make them look like a bully. Let me give you an example. You ready for this one? Here we are. It's an election year. Let's see if we can stir the anxiety up a little bit. You're part of a family. And your whole family are Republicans. Your great-grandfather was a Republican. Your grandfather was a Republican. Your father was a Republican. Your mother was a Republican. And the expectation, whether spoken or unspoken, in your family is that you, to be part of this family means you're a Republican. And somewhere in your life, you decided that you're going to be a Democrat. And don't, don't get too hung up on... It could be the exact opposite, Democrats to Republicans. It does, that's, it's not saying anything about either one of those. But what will likely happen is that someone in your family is going to try to fix your deviant behavior through conflict. This may take a number of forms, right? We may, you may experience this uh, as some, you know, someone just saying really bad things about and the Democrats are this. Or they may yell at you, or they may say, no son or daughter of mine is going to be that kind of person. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to fix the way that you have gone off the rails as to who we are. It's an attempt to get you to conform to the expectations that to be part of this family means you got to be a Republican. And the reason behind this is that you expressed yourself. 
your own set of beliefs, your own set of ideas. And this created anxiety within the connection of the family. Now, like I said, this is not party specific. It could play out the same in a family of Democrats. I use politics in this example, though, because in America, there tends to be an idolatry around politics. So anxiety ratchets up really high, really fast. Now, if you take a look at your family, you can probably spot this dynamic somewhere. Maybe for your family, it's not politics. Maybe for your family, it's career. We've always been teachers in this family. And here you go wanting to be an engineer. Or maybe your family's known for stability and we always take the sure thing. We always choose the thing that, that has a backup plan and we, we always take the sure thing. But here you are wanting to step out and take a risk. There's any number of ways this is going to show up. It happens in any relationship or emotional system. I mean, it could be family, but it could be in work, right? Like we all do our job this particular way. And here you go doing it a different way. The more important the expectation, the greater potential for conflict. And maybe you're aware right now that you do this. Maybe you are someone who reacts to anxiety with conflict. You got to get the people to like agree with you to be okay. Can I just say, from the perspective of responding to the COVID and how we're gonna open again among churches, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety in this way that we all have to do the same thing in order for me to be okay. I see this all over the place. That if we're not doing the same thing, we gotta get everybody on the same page and we gotta make sure we're all, because it's anxiety driven. But here's the thing, if you see that, it's, a, it's a, a warning light on the dashboard of your life. If you see that anxiety is driving you to, to, into conflict with somebody else, and you're aware of this, what it is, is it's telling you that something is causing anxiety in you. You should pay attention to that. This is a, this is a way for you to become aware of the anxiety that you feel. But as it happens with Paul and Barnabas, conflict can't continue forever. Either you're going to be pressured into conforming or else the anxiety will get so great that the opposite will happen. Instead of continuing, we just create distance. It's like, they're not gonna change? Well, heck with them. And it feels better in the moment to create a distance because the anxiety is not in your face anymore. We're no longer having the conflict. But distance is not a good long-term solution either because the circumstances around what caused the anxiety have not been resolved. This is what happened within the story that I started this with. They would have their anxiety. They would have their conflict. What would happen? Nothing got resolved. We create distance. And then we just act like everything's okay. Anxiety never gets resolved. We never dealt with the issue. And so what ended up happening is that it just builds up until we reach a point where it's like we can't fight about the same thing anymore. That's what happens. So if we look at our earlier analogy of the Republican family, when you fail to change your mind from the pressure of the conflict, what's going to happen is that there's going to be emotional distance created. The family will just eventually never talk politics with you that area of life will be off limits. Any area that touches that will be a topic we avoid, right? We get together for Thanksgiving. We're not going to talk about that with you. 
the relationship continues on, but we leave this area out because we know it's volatile. We can even convince ourselves that we actually have a peaceful relationship, right? I'm talking about somebody's family on here, I can tell. But it's not true that we're peaceful. We're just not experiencing the conflict. Listen, distance is not peace. Distance is not peace. Nothing actually got resolved in the situation. The area we had an issue with still controls our minds. It's still there. We just don't talk about it anymore. I mean, maybe you're not aware of those things for your family, but you have them. They do exist. You want to know how you find out? Here's how you find out. Bring someone you're dating or your spouse to spend time with your family. You know that? Or just bring your friends over to spend extended time with your family. And what inevitably happens? The people you brought over start talking about the things that we don't talk about in this family. You ever had that experience? They bring up the thing that we don't talk about. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not, we, we don't talk about that in this family. Now, what tends to happen is conflict doesn't work, so we result in distance, but some people just respond to anxiety by distance. We don't even engage in conflict when our anxiety arise, arises. We just simply distance ourselves from the situation. We are, come on, conflict avoiders. Any conflict avoiders on here? Right? Some hands. There you go. We know something isn't right about the situation, and we may know exactly what it is, but our method of handling it is not to bring it up. We become experts at avoiding topics of contention, and we try to keep the peace by distancing ourselves from the conflict. When you find yourself distancing from someone or something, pay attention. Again, this is a warning light on a dashboard calling your attention to a place of chronic anxiety. And here's the problem within families who are trying to follow Jesus. Often, we think the Christian thing is avoiding contentious things. We're really good at keeping peace. But it's false peace that we're keeping because in the back of our minds, we're still aware of all the things that we have to avoid. Right? Anybody have family members like that? Anybody a family member like that? And this is the quote-unquote Christian way of handling it. We have to be aware so that we don't set it off. That doesn't feel like peace to me. Does it feel like peace to you? Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are able to manage their own anxiety in order to create peace in situations. So how do we do that? We need to become the kind of people who are able to be in anxious situations without taking on that anxiety. And this happens in all of life, anywhere you interact with other people. This is where emotional health and spiritual health connect. So much of our anxious reactivity comes from ingrained patterns from our past. All of us have been tainted by sin and all of us have experienced brokenness. Paul had experienced abandonment by John Mark in the past that caused him to react in such a way that even he and Barnabas separated. 
The only way we can become people who don't react in anxious situations is by putting ourselves in situations where we know that we know that we know who God says we are. That our identity is secure before we ever engage in an anxious situation. We don't want to show up not knowing who we are. This comes by engaging in spiritual disciplines that put us in a position for God to heal our hearts and shape the inclinations of our hearts. This is all work that happens within the confines of your own spiritual rhythms. You don't just magically show up able to handle anxious situations. You put yourself in a position to allow the Holy Spirit to shape you. Your silence and solitude, you allow God to speak your identity to you. You spend time in Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. And then we begin to engage anxious situations out of the secure place of our identity in Christ. We become people who are defined with our own set of ideas, thoughts, and beliefs, but who can stay connected in a non-anxious way with people who have their own set of ideas, thoughts, and beliefs. This has direct import to how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. If you want to actually spend time with people who do not know Jesus and see them experience the life that you have in Jesus, you're going to have to be able to sit in situations where you don't agree with the other person and yet you can respect them as a human being and your anxiety does not drive you. We can talk all we want about evangelism programs. I don't think they work unless we actually are living a life that's worth emulating. There's got to be something about the way we show up in situations that's different than the rest of the world. That's how this works. So here's the deal. Before I close this up, the goal of last week, this week, and next week is to help you see your anxiety. Triangling, conflict, and distance. Next week we're going to talk about overfunctioning, underfunctioning. These are areas where your anxiety shows up. That's what where I'm telling you about these things, is so that you can hopefully begin to see your anxiety, and then we'll talk about what to do with it. 